0: Well, if you would uh, open up your Bibles and um, to Ephesians, that's in the New Testament, Ephesians, chapter two, verses eight through ten, or you can look—it's on page nine seventy-six in your pew Bible, or you can just look along in your bulletin. We're looking at verses eight through ten, but in your bulletin we printed uh, verses one through seven because we're going to we're going to look at those a little bit um, during this message. So. Today we begin a new sermon series titled Saved For... You know, as Christians, we often spend time thinking about what God saves us from. Things like guilt and shame and punishment. But God's salvation has many positive realities for us. We aren't just saved from bad things, but we've been saved for many good things. In these verses, we will see that God saves us for a great and glorious purpose. What is it? Let's see. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word towards us. Uh, It teaches us so many good truths. It reminds us of how we are able to stand before you in great favor and delight It also reveals to us your great purpose for your people. May we, um, by your spirit, be given insights into these words that we may understand them, press them into our hearts, and walk in these truths, we pray. Amen. You know, there's a TV show I like to watch every now and then. It's called Fast and Loud. It's a reality TV show that chronicles the, the restoration work of Gas Monkey Garage. Gas Monkey is a kind of a high-end auto restoration company down in Texas. It's uh, headed by Richard Rawlings, who is himself fast and loud. Uh, Rawlings travels all over in search of old derelict vehicles and and he redeems them with cold, hard cash. And then he turns them over to his sidekick, Aaron Kaufman, who's a mechanical genius, and he restores them all. Gas Monkey's Garage is passionate about restoring old, abandoned, derelict vehicles and redeeming them with cold, hard cash. And not just to their former glory, but to an even greater glory. Rawlings will say something like, we dropped in a Ford factory crated barrel, uh, a crated uh, engine of 535 horsepower into this Mustang. You should see that thing go. She purrs and oh, by the way, She's mine. My name is on her. Gas Monkey Garage illustrates what God does to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He, He redeems us from a life that is headed towards the junkyard, so to speak. And it's a costly redemption, that of the life of his own son. And then God begins a long but glorious restoration in you. By His grace, you become a new creation. That's what Paul says in verse 10. He says, We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. God's desire is that we would come alive to His workmanship. And that as we do so, we would see that we are on display and we are displaying God's glory into His creation. It's as if God is watching over us saying, watch her go. Look at how she purrs. That one's mine. God is a God of renewal and restoration. And so salvation isn't just forgiveness of sin. It's about being God's workmanship. You know, when Richard Rawlings buys an old derelict car, he doesn't redeem it and then let it sit unrestored in some warehouse somewhere he redeems it with a purpose, the purpose of restoration. So too with God. If you've experienced his redemption, God has a purpose of restoration in you. So salvation isn't so much what God saves us from, it is what God saves us for. In the past three weeks, we've witnessed two devastating hurricanes and another one on the way. And a common picture we see in some of these video shots is what? We see a, a, a helico- rescue helicopter hovering over some house. And all you see is the roof because the house is surrounded by water. And there's a, a woman or a child down there. And, and the, the Coast Guard worker is lowered down uh, on a winch and, and grabs this woman. And, and, and the winch pulls her up into the helicopter. And it flies her off to, to high ground, to dry ground. And then, it, and then it flies off to rescue somebody else what happens is the woman gets dropped off and and she says, wow, that was scary. Whew, glad I'm back on dry ground. Uh, Now I'm gonna just go on about my day. And so she eats a stale donut, drinks a cup of Folgers instant, and goes about her day. She's been saved for herself. There's where Christians need to grow in in an understanding. They tend to think that the goal of salvation is salvation. In other words, God simply saves me so that I can be saved and go about my day. But God doesn't do that. He saves us with a purpose in mind. Our new lives are more like this. It's more like the woman gets rescued, and she scarves down a donut, drinks a cup of coffee, but then she walks across the street to the Coast Guard Recruiting Center, and then she, with a new sense of purpose, joins the Coast Guard so that she, too, can be a part of the rescue effort. What we must come to see this morning is God saves us for his good purposes. God does a gracious work in us so that he may display his good workmanship through us. We are saved for God. We're going to look at that this morning in two areas. First, we're going to look at the gift of salvation. And then we will look at the goal of salvation. First, the gift. every year we offer this Christianity Explored class. It's wonderful. There's a number of videos each week and we get to interact with them. Um, One of the scenes in the video is of a young girl. It's Christmas. Obviously, she's gathered around a Christmas tree and, and she opens up a Christmas present and then she frowns and says to her parents, okay, what do I owe you? Yeah, it is kind of silly. But the scene illustrates that salvation is a gift from God. You cannot earn it, nor can you pay God back for it. We simply receive it and delight in it. Look at verse 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Might be good for us to define the word grace, because it's in our passage in Weller. Church is named grace, Presbyterian church. Um, Some people define grace with these words. It is undeserved merit or favor. Grace is undeserved merit or favor. But I think that's just one side of the coin. Harry Ironside defines grace this way, listen. Grace is not only undeserved favor, but it is favor shown to the one who has deserved the very opposite. Or as Jerry Bridges writes, God's grace is free and unmerited favor shown to guilty sinners who deserve only judgment. It is the love of God shown to the unlovely. It is God reaching down to people who are actually in rebellion against him. Or to put it in comparison, justice is when you get what you deserve. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. Grace is when you get what you don't deserve. <laughs> I think I lost some of you. Anyway. <laughs> you can see me later. If you learn just one thing this morning, it's that you and I can either work towards our salvation or pay God back for our salvation. And yet, we live in a world that pretty much insists that if there is a God, then surely um, that... That, that surely they would have lived a life that's good enough uh, to work or to earn God's favor. And, and, and if they haven't, well, then they'll just redouble their efforts and put in a little bit more good works, maybe become a little bit more religious. And the Hamptons, when uh, people get religious, they don't so much go to church, do they? The, but they will live by rules nonetheless. Many people today say they're spiritual but not religious, but everybody is religious in some way. Everyone lives by rules that they think life should be lived by, and they judge you by whether you live up to the rules or not. And so in the Hamptons, people maybe not go to church so much, but they will commit to doing a better job of recycling, Recycling is a good thing. Uh, they'll also you know, pledge to not run the faucet the entire time they're brushing their teeth, right? Um, And they think that surely by following these good rules that they have lived a good life. All right, I'm not saying don't recycle or turn the water off when you're brushing your teeth. Anyway, uh, some of you are looking at me like, is that a bad thing? No, it's a good thing. But you can't do that to say, you know what, I'm a good person because I do all these good things. You cannot earn salvation. It comes only as a gift of God's grace. You know, that's a truth that not just outside the church, but inside the church we need to hear. This coming October 31st is a huge milestone in the church. Do you guys know this? One person back there is going, yeah, I know. All right. It marks the 500-year anniversary of when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Castle Church. That act started in earnest the Protestant Reformation. Now, one of the central truths of the 95 Theses was that salvation cannot be earned or bought or paid for. See, at the time, the Roman Catholic Church taught that you can buy your salvation, that if you give money to the church, what they called indulgences, that that your dearly departed loved ones could escape from purgatory in the very instant you gave them the money. Luther sought to reform the church back to the gospel, Salvation is by Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. You know, people today still need to hear this. Too many still think that Christianity is all about doing the right things and you're going to make sure that God is happy with you. So if I go to church or give to worthy causes, surely I've earned points before God. Paul helps us see that salvation is a gift. Now, the fact that salvation cannot be worked out or earned becomes obvious when we see those seven verses before ours. What we see here is that this gift of salvation is actually a release into a new life. How is life without this salvation described here? It's described, check this out, as a living death. I'm not making this up. Look at verse one. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked." It's interesting. He's, he is, Paul's talking about Christian, Christians and, and, and reminding them of their life before receiving the gift of Christ. And he said they, that they were dead and yet capable of walking. <laughs> All right, I'm not gonna do any stories or illustrations about the Walking Dead TV series. Sorry about that. There's a couple nudges there. Anyway. To be dead here is not physical death, it's spiritual death. It speaks of being cut off from a relationship with one's creator, the living God. And when the Bible talks about our walk, it refers to how we just live our lives here on earth. How does Paul describe the walk of the unconverted person? He describes it in verse 2 and 3. It's a life not following after God, but after God's enemy. A life pursuing Passions that please us and please our flesh, but displease God. Look, verse, well, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Paul is saying that prior to God doing a work in you, you did not follow after God, but rather you were led around by God's enemy. And that in doing so, you you were persuaded that any earthly pleasure or passion that you had, that you lived for yourself, that that was good. and, and, And in the moment you lived and pursued those things, totally oblivious to God's love and his law. You know, today countless people laugh at the suggestion that there is some powerful evil spirit that opposes God, the devil, or Satan. But guess what? Jesus himself talked about Satan. He said that he was and is the father of all lies. Do you know what Satan's second biggest lie is? His second biggest lie is that he doesn't exist. He wants you to believe that. His first biggest lie is that God and his ways are really not good. So the picture of humanity apart from Christ is that of living death and bondage to sin coupled with an inability to even know one's condition nor save oneself. It's not a very good scene, is it? Now, before you think Paul is being all judgmental and looking down in self-righteous indignation at these bad people, um, notice the grammar. Verse 1, he says, You were dead. But then the pronouns change from second person to first person, don't they? And then verse 3, he says, we all once lived. This living death is common to all humanity. Everyone is in need of release. And in verse 4, we see the release. It comes with a but. Every time you in the Bible, you see a but. That's, a, that's an important thing, a but with one T, okay? Uh, it, it says something important is happening. Look at it. And as we read verse four and following, just just soak in the rich descriptions of God's grace. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God has made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that, here's the purpose. In the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Salvation isn't just forgiveness of sin. Though if that was what it was, it would still be delightful. Salvation is release from a living death into a living life in which God displays his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us. As verse 10 says, we become God's workmanship, a new creation. As Paul writes elsewhere, he says, therefore, if anyone is is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All right, some quick conclusions here. Salvation isn't just forgiveness of sin, although it encompasses that. Salvation is life out of death. Just as Jesus was raised from the dead, so to all who are united to Christ by faith have risen to new life. You're a new creation. And this gift of salvation, we cannot earn. We receive it by faith. That's the gift of salvation. Now the goal of salvation. Back to the uh, gas monkey garage, fast and loud illustration. You know, when a, when a car leaves the gas monkey garage, it is no longer a hoopty, right, or a jalopy. Um, it enters in dead and disobedient, so to speak. All of its cylinders won't fire or whatever. Brakes don't work. But um, it is lovingly worked upon for weeks or months. And then, and then once completely restored, it leaves. And how does it leave? It leaves us a workmanship of gas monkey to do good works. That is, it can now run on all eight cylinders. It can stop, stop on a dime and its paint glistens in the sun. And because the gas monkey logo is upon it, everyone delights in it and knows from whom it came from. So too with God's salvation. God makes you to be his workmanship. Recreated to do good works, which display his glory. Look again at the first half of verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Wait a minute, perhaps you're saying, right? Didn't Paul just say that works were bad? Now he's saying they're good? No, good works are bad when we think we can be saved by our good works. That's what Paul says in verse 8 and 9. But in verse 10, we see that Good works are not bad when they're seen as the goal of our salvation, not the grounds for our salvation. We are not saved by our good works, but we are saved for good works. One commentator, John Tweedale, writes that verse 10 helps us to see that good works are the result, not the cause, of our being new creations. They testify to the fact that we've been redeemed so that our lives might reflect the craftsmanship and character of God. Also, he says that good works are the result of our being united to Christ. And apart from him, we can do nothing that pleases God. But in Christ, we are created to perform God-honoring acts of obedience. And so check this out. In Christ, we can be confident that God accepts our weak and wobbly efforts to serve him and to reflect his glory. Paul further states that um, good works are the result of God's pattern for the christian life and you know we need not wonder where this pattern comes from or what what god requires of us he's told us in his written word that good works are the deeds done in conformity to god's word in response to his grace and for his glory that's how you know if a good work is a good work it's a it's conformity to god's word done as a response to his grace and for his glory I think the big idea here that we need to wrap our heads around is this. Faith in Christ is never alone. It's accompanied with the spiritual life of loving obedience. Good works are the fruit of salvation. Martin Luther wrote, Our works do not generate righteousness. Rather, our righteousness in Christ generates works. If you've experienced salvation, God's purpose in your salvation would be, would be that you would be more like Christ and that Christ's work would live in and through you, that you would be good in order to do good, not to earn God's favor because you already have God's favor. God's purpose is that you no longer live for self, but that you would live for Christ and his kingdom. So let it sink in. The goal of your salvation is not salvation. You've not been saved so you can sit on the sidelines waiting for Jesus to return someday. Jesus has given you new life so that you would steward that new life for Christ and his kingdom. Jesus saved you at a great cost, his very life. And the cost of his his sacrifice has implications. Do you remember when Paul wrote that really messed up church in Corinth? Uh, Remember what he said? He said, said, you've been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Christian, God has begun a good work in you so that you would be his good work in a world that is in need of his redemption and restoration. Did you notice in verse 10, Paul says that these good works are are good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Picture this, long before you were even born, long before you even delighted in Christ, God has prepared good works for you to complete. Mind boggling, right? Can that be true? That's what Paul is saying. What are they? Well, some of the good work is what God wants to do in you to make you more like Christ in your character. That would be the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The other good works are the individual things in your life that only you are in a position to do anything about. The people and the circumstances that God has uniquely placed you in These are the good works that God has prepared you for. God saves with a purpose that we become His workmanship so that God could work on us and in us and through us to display His glory. Google is a company that everybody wants to work for. Maybe not you. But two million people a year apply to work at Google. Problem is, so few of those ever get hired there. Forbes Magazine says that 2 million people apply each year for 40,000 positions. Do the math, I did. That's a 0.2% hiring rate. It's almost 10 times easier to get into Harvard University. Forbes magazine wrote an article trying to answer the question why. The article said it has to do with Google's purpose. Google has always pursued a noble cause. The company conducts business with a simple model. Do you know it? Don't be evil. Don't be evil. All right. It's a negative command, right? In the article, co-founder Larry Page says this. We have somewhat of a social mission, and most other companies do not. I think that's why people like working for us, and using our services. Companies' goals, by the way, I used Google to find this, that was pretty funny. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sorry, Bing. Um, AltaVista, you guys remember that? <clears throat> Companies' goals should be to make their employees so wealthy that they do not need to work, but choose to work because they believe in the company. Many of our employees don't have to work. They're pretty wealthy. <laughs> They could probably go years without working. Why are they working? They're working because they like doing something. They believe in what they're doing. Larry Page is saying that people who work at Google don't really consider it so much work, but rather an an extension of a life well lived. How much more so for us, belonging and working in God's kingdom? The gospel makes us so wealthy in God's grace that we need not work. But because we're so alive in God's grace, we long to work. So we've seen the gift of salvation, the goal of salvation. God in love sees humanity. He sees us in our current state. He sees us in this living death. And because he's rich in mercy and full of great love, God takes us who are dead in our trespasses and makes us alive in Christ. Do you guys recall the motto of Grace Presbyterian Church? you guys know it? Some of you have been to the membership class. You should nod your head. Yes. Don't be evil. No. Uh, (laughs) No, it's alive in Christ. My friends, when you're alive in Christ, his love for you, his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness is alive in you. You don't have to worry about the don'ts. The great command is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. When Christ is alive in you, those things come naturally. You don't need to get paid to do them. You desire to do them because of God's love and mercy towards you. In Christ, we are alive. And by his grace, may our prayer be that we become more and more alive. May we say, Lord, have your way with me. All of your way with all of me. (laughs) File down the rough edges. Renew my insides. Give me a strong heart that beats for you. And let me work for your good purposes. For there's no place that I would rather work than in your kingdom for your glory. Where does this leave us, leave you, take us this morning? Perhaps you've thought Christianity was all about a list of rules to follow, and that by following them and doing a pretty decent job, you know, got a grade, grade on the curve, and, uh, and then you keep the deity off your back. And maybe, maybe though, maybe maybe your idea of working to earn God's favor—you've heard, you thought that's what Christianity is about—and maybe it's just made you feel inadequate or unworthy of God's acceptance. Guess what? We're all unworthy. We cannot earn our way. Thankfully, though, God is rich in mercy and grace. Jesus lived the life you should have lived. He died the death that you deserve. So that simply by receiving the gift, um, God's salvation is yours. I hope you see that. If you haven't yet done that, that you would trust your life to Christ. See, it as a free gift. Nothing you work for. It takes humility to do that, though, right? Others here are Christians, but when you examine um, how you view salvation, it's, you, it's more about what you're saved from, right? Uh, than what you're saved for. Perhaps this morning and this week, take time to consider that God has saved you for himself, that you are his workmanship. His desire is to transform you by his grace so that you could be a good work that displays his glory. Many of you, I hope is everyone here, uh, have been walking in good works. You're alive in Christ. You you know that you have a long way still to go, right? The restoration process has begun, but it might take a while, right? Uh, It doesn't go all that fast, but sometimes it is quite loud, the restoration work that God does in us. But you've come to see that God has been patient with you, that he is rich in mercy as he works in and through you that he delights in your efforts to glorify him, even when you fall on your faces. Christian, God has saved you as his workmanship with the great purpose of working his goodness into you and through you. So may we delight in his good work and may we walk in them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that this is true. That from the foundations of time, you have decided in your perfect mind to redeem people uh, out of a living death into a living life. And that this is all by grace. Uh, we cannot earn it or pay you back. Our only response is to delight in it and live in light of it. May this be true and pressed into our hearts this morning. Uh, may we rejoice and walk in your ways, we pray. Amen.